Amen. Boy, I'm glad that I came to church today, and it's so great to see all of you here this morning. And what an incredible opportunity we have to begin this week worshiping our living Lord together. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to ask you to join me in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking today at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Last week, I asked you the question as we began, uh, what would you say it means to be a member of a church? Today, I want to give you another question to ponder, and that's this. What do you think it means to be a Christian? Now, that's probably an easier question for you to answer. And so you may immediately think of things like, well, as a Christian, that means that I will go to be with God in heaven when I die. And that's absolutely true. Or you may say, well, to be a Christian means that that I'm to live my life Christ-like, because that's what the word Christian literally means. And again, that would be absolutely true. Or maybe you would say, well, being a Christian means that now I have a relationship with God through Jesus. And again, that would be absolutely true. But I want to give you a different way today of looking at what it means to be a Christian. All of those other things are true. This is just another way to ponder this truth. To be a Christian is to live in the life of God. To be a Christian is to live in the life of God. Now, what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that look like? And why is that important? That's what we'll see in today's text. So with your Bibles open, will you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, again, we begin in verse 17. Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You may be seated. So this week as I really pondered over this passage, those words in verse 18 from the life of God really stood out to me. And as I pondered those words, the life of God, and began to kind of question and dig into the Scripture, what in the world does it mean, the life of God? Because obviously being alienated from the life of God is a bad thing, right? So what does it mean to live or to walk in the life of God? It means as He lives in us, we're able to see as He sees. We're able to hear as He hears. We're able to feel as He feels, as He guides us in every aspect of life. Let me remind you of a verse that I share with you all the time because it's such a meaningful verse to me. And that's where Paul writes to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Remember what he said. I am crucified with Christ, and therefore it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Think about that. 
I'm crucified with Christ, therefore it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Who is Christ? Well, John tells us that Jesus is God in the flesh, right? So how does Christ live in me? Christ lives in me through, at, through the person of his Holy Spirit. And so we know about the Trinity, that God manifests himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So as believers, we do away with the old self, and that's what it means when we use the phrase to be born again. And now God lives in me. And because God lives in me, then once again, I can see as he sees, hear as he hears, feel as he feels, and he is guiding me into all of life. Now, there are three things about God's life in you that I want you to ponder with me this morning. And the first is that in the beginning, man was created to walk by the life of God. That's not a new thing. That was the way it was in the beginning. Think with me about Genesis 1 and 2. God created man in his image. What does that mean? That means that the first man had the ability to think, the ability to reason, the ability to communicate. He was able to walk and worship God. Now think about what God did with that first man. He placed him in the garden. He gave him a work to do. He was to tend and to keep the garden. Of course, God was the one who was going to bring the fruit from the garden because only God brings the rain and the sun or the water and the sun. But man was to till the soil. He was to cultivate in the garden. God also gave man a law, didn't he? A law to live by. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gave man a wife. So in the first two chapters of Genesis, we see that the identity of the first man is wrapped up in God. Everything about him, his esteem is found in God. His purpose and meaning in life is found in God because it's in God that he has his life and breath. It is in God that he has his work. It is in God that his relationships are built. It is in God that he lives the pattern of his life according to his law. And so in the beginning, man was created to walk by the life of God. God was guiding everything that Adam did. However, point number two, man chose to walk away from living by the life of God. You remember as we come to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin against God. They go against his perfect design. And instead of living by his life, they chose to live their own life, didn't they? As they chose to do things their own way. And the reality is, man ever since has done the very same thing. That's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible calls that sin. And now Paul gives us a description of that. Look with me there again at Ephesians 4 verse 17. When he says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Remember, he's writing to Gentile believers in Ephesus and the surrounding cities. So when he says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, don't walk like unbelievers. Don't live like unbelievers. And he begins to describe it in verse 17. In the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, meaning that they're not able to think about the things of God, 
They're alienated from the life of God, and we know that's because of sin, right? We want to live our own lives instead of living the life God desires for us. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, the word blindness in the original gives the idea of callousness, who being past feeling, they have become apathetic, he says. They have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. In other words, they are never, ever satisfied. Life is all about themselves. Now, when we look at a passage like this, and as we think about what life alienated from God looks like, we just kind of have a tendency to always go into perversions, right? And to, to think of, uh, of just horrid sins that you, you know, you, you see on TV news shows and that kind of, you know, we just think of just awful, awful things of, of darkness. But the reality is to live alienated from God, a person can be highly successful in this life. Much different maybe than our perspective of what it looks like to be alienated from him. When you think of the word futility there in that passage, I want you to think about the word vanity that the writer of Ecclesiastes uses. Do you remember that great book there in the Old Testament? Most believe that the writer of Ecclesiastes was actually Solomon, who was considered the wealthiest and wisest man who ever lived. And it seems that Solomon is, is advanced in age, he's later on in life, and he's looking back at his younger days, and he's writing and giving instruction about the things that he's learned. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the theme of that chapter is vanity of vanities, all the earth is vanity. And what he's saying is, I've come to realize that all of the things of this world are meaningless and purposeless. And then in the next few chapters, he begins to talk about how he tried it out himself. Solomon acknowledges that instead of living the life of God, he was trying to live his own life. And he said, you know what? I tried to find meaning and purpose in things like intellectualism. But the more I gained wisdom, the more I learned, the more books that I read, the more that I studied, it just frustrated me even more. I, I had more questions. And so then he says, well, I tried to find meaning and purpose in life through hedonism. Man, I partied it up. I lived it to the full. I had the best of times on Friday night, but when I woke up on Saturday morning, life wasn't any better than it was on Friday. He says, I came to realize that too is vanity and chasing after the wind. He says, so I tried to find meaning and purpose in materialism. Boy, I worked as hard as I could, and I built a really good life for myself. I acquired all sorts of possessions, gardens and vineyards and horses, and I had everything a man could possibly want. But at the end of the day, it was all vanity. The word futility there in verse 17, it basically means ideas and thoughts that lead to nowhere. So as Paul is describing for us what life alienated from God looks like, he's not just talking about deep, dark things that you think about on just horrid TV shows and horrible things that you hear about. He says to be alienated from the life of God is to live a life that's going nowhere. 
It's to live a life without purpose and without meaning. You can be incredibly successful in the eyes of the world. You can have a fantastic family. You can truly love your wife. You can have great kids who are very successful. You can be successful at work. You can be prominent in the community. From the world's perspective, you can look like you have everything together. But without Christ, in our sin, alienated from God, ultimately we're going nowhere. Alienated from God, life has no purpose and life has no meaning that has any eternal value or that lasts. And Paul says the longer you live in that state, the more callous your heart grows, the more apathetic you become, and the less you even realize what you're missing. God created us to walk by the life of God. It is our sin that causes us to walk away from God. And we begin to live life for ourselves. Never satisfied, always wanting more. But the third truth I want you to ponder today is that the gospel invites you to be restored so you can walk in the life of God. So again, Paul is writing to these Gentile believers and he says, listen, don't live like you used to live. Don't live like the unbelievers who are living in the futility of their minds. Their goals in life are things that may look successful from the world's eyes, but ultimately they lead to nowhere. There is no ultimate eternal purpose or meaning in the things that they do. They are numb to God. They have no idea if he were to speak to them today. They have no idea what he would be saying to them because they are callous to him and apathetic to him, and they are only out for themselves. Don't live that way because, he says in verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So Paul here is reminding us of the gospel. The gospel is the message that though we have walked away from God and though we do not live in his life, but we live our own lives for our own purposes and our own desires and our own greediness and our own lusts, God in his love for us didn't want to leave us in that state. So God came to this earth in Jesus Christ and Jesus lived a sinless life on this earth and he died on the cross for our sins. He took our sin and our shame and our guilt. He was buried in a tomb and on the third day he was raised again. And as Jesus rose from the dead, he promises that we, by faith in him, we can be brought to God as well. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, listen, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says in Christ you don't become better, you become brand new. And so again in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ is what Paul says. My old life has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. 
I identify in what he did and how he took the penalty for my sin. I have crucified that old life with Christ. And so now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So Paul says, now we are to live by the life of God, the life of God in us, being able to see what he sees and hear what he hears, to feel what he feels, to be guided by him in every single aspect of life, just as God's original intention for man was. But we can't do that on our own. We cannot earn it by good works. It, has the, it is the gift of God. It is the gospel. So Paul is saying here, live as a new man. Look at what he says. Verse 22, put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. To put off is the idea of just changing the clothes. Take those clothes off. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, that old life is just going to shrivel, is what he says. When you're living in the futility of your mind, chasing after the vanities of the world, you are just inwardly going down. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, what Paul's acknowledging is, that though as Christians we have become new, we still every day fight sinful flesh, don't we? And that's why he's writing this. We are still going to face temptations even as the new man. There are still going to be struggles, but Paul says, listen, church, you have got to renew your mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, he told us in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we transform ourselves, we're renewing ourselves by learning who God is, learning about this life of God in us in order to, to be able to see as he sees and hear as he hears and feel as he feels. We need to get to know him more. The life of God is in us, but we need to grow in that life as we continue to live. And verse 24, and put on the new man which was created according to God. Listen, when you're saved, now you are new. Now God's life is in you, and that is a life that's in true righteousness and holiness. You're right before God and right before men. So let's take a step back. So here in Ephesians chapter 4 thus far, Paul is saying, listen church, remember that you are one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. But in the passage we looked at last week, he says, but you were also each unique. God has equipped each individual. Everybody has the Holy Spirit, the life of God in them. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself differently through every single one of us. But all for the purpose of bringing together that unity. Remember, as we talked about, you were saved to be connected. You were saved to begin a process of spiritual growth. And you were saved to serve all for the purpose of building up the body of Christ for the glory of God. And so Paul says here 
as he begins his descent in chapter 1. This means you can't live like you used to live. That life that you used to live was a life that was going nowhere. That life that you used to live was a life that was all about you. But when you received the gospel, the life of God is in you. So make a conscious effort every day. Don't go backwards. Go forwards. Take off those filthy rags of the old life and live the life that God has provided for you. So now we know what it means, the life of God in you. And now we know what it looks like, the life of God in you. Why is it so important? Do you remember I told you that man was created in the image of God with the ability to think and the ability to reason and the ability to communicate so that he could have fellowship and worship God. God who is spirit made man to show the world what he looks like. And as long as he walked in the life of God, he showed the world what God is like. But when he began to live his own life, he went away, right? What is the purpose of the church? God has taken those who have gone their own way and he has wound them with the truth of the gospel and wooed them back unto himself in repentance and restoration to him. And God has assembled each one of these individual believers in Jesus together as the church because the church is God's instrument of revealing himself to the world. God wants the world to look at the church the individuals who make up the church and us united together collectively. He wants the world to be able to look at the church and to see what he is like. Listen to me. It matters how you live. The Christian life is not just a ticket to heaven. The Christian life is not just a relationship with God, but the Christian life is walking in the life of God so that the world can see God through you. As we come to a close, let me ask you a few questions. Are you living your life in the life of God or are you living your life on your own? You can see from the text that a life on your own is a life alienated from him. A life without meaning and purpose, a life that though may look successful to people in the world on an eternal scale is a life that's going nowhere.
Will you respond to the gospel of Jesus? Will you trust in Jesus Christ who can bring you back from where you have strayed? Bring you back into relationship with God and allow his life in you. And all of a sudden, see the world as he sees it. Hear as he hears. Feel as he feels. And walk in obedience to him. Is your identity in the things of the world or is your identity in him? Will you trust in Jesus today? The second question. For those of us who claim to be believers, what does our lives look like to the outside world? Does it look any different than everybody else? Do we still seem to be living our lives in the futility of our minds? Or are you continually drawing near to him? Your salvation is not just about you but about people seeing God through you. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning and we praise you for your word. We praise you for guiding us in your truth and helping us to see life from the lenses of your scripture and not just from our own view. Thank you for showing us where we step away. Thank you for showing us how to come back. Thank you for showing us how we do not have to live life alienated from you but we can have life of meaning and purpose through Jesus. Father, as we come to this time of response, please guide us in the response that you want us to make, the decision you've been leading us to from the moment we walked in this room. For it's in the precious and holy and wonderful and life-transforming name of Jesus we pray. Amen.